We've been in a series, and the series is Jesus with, Jesus with the powerful, Jesus with the powerless, and today we'll be speaking about Jesus with the troubled. Now, the thing about the text that we're going to talk about today is that you're going to look at the person that Jesus is helping and serving and loving and restoring to sanity. You're going to look at him and you're going to say, I'm not like that. I'm not that bad. I notice that this is true no matter where I go and who I speak uh, to. I know that we usually wind, wind up comparing ourselves to those that are worse off than we are. I know I did this in my addiction. In my addiction, I always compared myself to the guy who had been on the methadone line for 50 years. I'm not as bad as that guy. And I did this in my marriage. Like my marriage is not as bad as that marriage. And I did this with my weight gain. My wife, when she was pregnant with our first son, I gained, uh, what is it, something like 40 pounds of sympathy weight. Yeah, you know what I mean, right? Like, you know, your wife starts eating crazy, then you start eating crazy, and I was like, wow. And so when I was getting out of shape, I was like, well, I'm not as bad as that person. We have, there's a tendency, listen to me. If you're young, you do this. You're, you're, you're disobeying your parents and you say this to yourself. You say, well, I'm not, it's not like I'm smoking crack or, you know, doing, to, you know. We say this to ourselves in order to make ourselves feel better about the level of sin we're in. And so Jesus is going to confront, and I think that the person that we look at today is a picture of all of us. He's not an extreme picture of all of us. He's a picture of all of us, of the way God sees us apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to, to, to check in here. Now, some of y'all are going to connect directly because you have extreme stories, stories of, of homelessness, and stories of addiction and story, yeah, like you're going to connect in that way. And then some of y'all are just going to go, "Now nah, this is not my story. This is not my deal. I got it pretty much together. And I just want you to know, this is a picture of all of us without the gospel. Now, if you are here and you come from uh, an addicted background and, and, and a broken background, oh, you're welcome here. This is the recovery house of worship. We're so glad that you're here. If you're here and you're drunk or nodding out, there's no place better to, to pass out or fall asleep than the Recovery House of Worship. I hope you know this. This is the absolute best place to do that. And so you're welcome here. If, so, but also, if you come from the penthouse suite across the street and you have a great educational background and you are affluent and educated and you're welcome here as well. Amen. You know, we all need Jesus. And so we're glad that you're here. So whether you slept in park benches or the penthouse, we're glad you're here. 
Uh, we're looking at a story in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, and in the middle of the week, would you believe, in the middle of the week, while I was studying this, I realized that one of the other pastors had preached this a few weeks ago. And I was like, isn't that a coinkydink that God thinks that y'all need to hear this twice because I'm not working on another sermon. We're going with the same sermon. Now, he preached it from one perspective. Again, when we get to the scriptures, when we get to the scriptures, what we find is that they are so profound that they are so multifaceted that we could just kind of stay on the scripture for the rest of our lives and learn more and more and more. And so I don't think I'm going to be treading over any ground that Pastor Zach, when he was here, preached. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be treading on his ground. But I want you to know that that's a really good sermon to listen to alongside of this one because I think it gives a a few more uh, different perspectives. Zach preached it from the perspective of serving those with uh, mental illness. And I'm going to be preaching it from a different perspective. So we see in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, Mark is, whenever Mark is writing anything, he's writing everything with great intention. He's very succinct. And so everything here is meaningful. So what I want you to do is uh, stand as we read God's word. One of the reasons that we stand at the reading of God's word is because we want to be reminded That no matter how we feel, no matter what we think, no matter what we're going through, that Jesus' word has authority, has, has preeminence in our lives. So let's let's take a look at this. Verse 1 through 20. They went across the lake to the region of the Generosenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his feet in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. He begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirit came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people 
what had happened and the de uh, to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This is God's word. Please have a seat. In this man, we get to see a picture of ourselves, although we don't want to believe it. In this man, we get to see what we look like without the gospel. What we look like living life apart from Christ. You do know that you can come to a church like this, that you can dress in your Christian clothing and eat afterwards and hang out with us. You do know that you can go through this and not at all be connected to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not at all want to live for Jesus. This man is a picture of all of us. He's a picture of all of us without the gospel. This man is, and I'm going to go through these individually, but I just want to give you the quick um, overview. He's isolated, enslaved, self-destructive, crying out, and naked. Now let's look at each one. Isolated. You see in verse 2, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man had been secluded to the tombs. He was as far from any civilization as you can get with, st with still being in the same region. Nobody goes into the tombs. Now, it's very important actually to point this out. Let me, just show, let me show you something really important. Mark is making every connection that he can make to the gospel and the power and the beauty of Christ. Just before this, these guys were in a boat, and before this, you'll remember the story, uh, a storm, a squaw, comes up with crazy force, enough to get some boat-hardened, already used to the ocean or used to the sea kind of sailors. These guys were frightened out of their minds, so you can only imagine how those waves must have been crashing up against the boat. They go to Jesus and they go, don't you care if we drown? You remember this? Teacher, don't you care? If we drown? And it's like they were afraid that he would sleep on them during their time of great crisis. Interestingly enough, Jesus wasn't sleeping on them in their time of great crisis, but in the future they would sleep on Jesus in the time of his great crisis. Jesus gets up, says, calm, be still, and the storm dies. The importance of this is that the storms that are going on outside of you that are impossible for you to control, Jesus still has power over them, so take courage. But now we're going to look at the storms that are going inside of you. They are not just storms that are going outside of us, things that are outside of our control, things that are outside of our, outside of our person, but they can also be storms that are happening within. Jesus gets out of his boat after having calmed the storm to, on the outside to having to calm the storm 
on the inside. He sees this man and he's isolated from everyone. No one wants to be around him. He has so lived his life that everybody crosses the street when they see him. He has so lived his life that he is divorced from having any kind of connection with people. Some of us know what that's like. Some of us know what it's like to live a life to the degree following our pleasures, our joy, our satisfaction, to thinking that it will lead us to great joy and it only leads us to great isolation. Some of us know exactly what that's like. Some of us know exactly what that's like in, in, in addiction, in consuming ourselves. But let me, let me tell you something. This isolation can happen when you're doing things that you think are good. There are, there are some, it's Father's Day, so let's talk to the dads. There are some dads who have made it so their priority to find their identity in their work. They give themselves to their work or money. And they so dedicate themselves to that that they isolate themselves from the family who just wants to spend time with them. And they go, I I I'm doing this for all of you. It's a tough sell when you're doing something for all of them and all of them are saying, don't do it. It's a tough sell. But it's possible to so isolate yourself with work, with your studies in school, with your, it, it, with your physical fitness. With, it's possible to do that both good and it's possible with, good, with what we would call good stuff and it's possible to isolate yourself with bad stuff. This person was isolated. He was by himself. No one around. Secondly, this person was enslaved. Look in verses 3 and 4. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. He was enslaved. You know what's interesting about a lot of the slavery that we find ourselves in lately? This man was enslaved. This, this guy had lived a life to the degree, was so demonically possessed that he had to be uh, uh, isolated from everyone else. The thing, it, he was enslaved. And it's possible for us to think that the thing that we will find most joy in, most satisfaction in, it's only a beer. It's only a toke. It's only, listen, 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 this is just one. It's only, it's, it's only a bar of ice cream. It's only a shopping spree. It's only, it's only that we do things to the degree where we not only in isolate ourselves, but we enslave ourselves. The worst thing about slavery, the kind of slavery that you and I go through, the worst thing about it is that usually we are the last to know that we are in the bondage. We're the last to know. And when the bondage starts becoming apparent, we start trying to break free from it but it leaves us in the same dead place. This man was isolated. He was enslaved. It's possible for us to find ourselves enslaved to a bad attitude, 
Just negative, negative, negative. Critical spirit. It's possible. You see, when we look at this, it's easy. When I talk about, oh, alcoholism, oh, everybody goes, yeah, mm mm-hmm, I get it, Mm mm-hmm, yeah. Taking a toke, oh, yeah, mm mm-hmm, I get it, I've done those, yeah, mm mm-hmm, yeah. Or, or, I I know, I know, Um, uh, putting myself in a a, a illegal position, I get it, I get it, yeah, yeah. But listen to me, you can do that with your attitude. You can do that with your bitterness. You can be in bondage, literally in bondage. Hating and not forgiving someone else. Leave yourself so caught up. And then what happens is when you notice the bonds, what you try to do is you try to break free from them in the ways that you think are well and wise and good, only to find that these will not work. These will not work. You're still found in the dead place. This man was isolated. He was enslaved. He was self-destructive. Look at verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This man was literally, he was literally cutting himself, beating himself. We're not sure. The commentators uh, uh, are not entirely sure if he was hitting himself with stones or he was cutting himself with stones. But you get the point. The point is, is that he was hurting himself. You're just hurting yourself, you know. With that anger, with the rage, with the bitterness, with the saying to yourself, listen to me, I... off because everybody knows that beer is better than Jesus at taking the edge off. You're hurting yourself. Putting anything before Christ, putting your children before Christ is a recipe for disaster. Anything before Christ is a harmful thing. Because while children are wonderful and blessed, they are terrible gods. And you've seen, you've seen, or maybe you've experienced parents who have worshipped their children, and those children grow up, and they are painful to be around. Even the parents don't want to be around them. Beloved, beloved, listen to me. He was hurting himself in ways that were causing damage. Are you hurting yourself? Are you causing damage to your own soul? Are you, here's, a, here's a damage to your soul. Acting like me when I was younger thinking that, you know what, these old traditions, these old ideas of God, you know what, science completely disproves that. They don't exist. It's just fairy tales told to people to keep them in line. Beloved, you're hurting yourself. You're harming yourself. You're divorcing yourself from the only one who could make sense of all the tragedies and even the celebrations of your life. You're hurting yourself. Are you isolating your husband with the cold shoulder. Beloved, mommy, you're hurting yourself. 
you're harming yourself. Are you giving your body away to person after person, thinking that you will find satisfaction and love in the bed of another person? Beloved, you're hurting yourself. Are, are you taking the money that God is giving you and spending it every way you want rather than the way God wants you to spend it? I know, you know, there's no pain in putting a piece of plastic down on the, on the register, right? There's no pain in that. You don't feel that. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting yourself. Are you staying isolated from people who are not like you? Like the affluent staying away from the wealthy? Or in Recovery House of Worship, we have, we're all struggling at one thing or another. And that's what I love about Recovery House of Worship. We try not to put on too many masks. We still have a few, but we try not to put on too many masks. And, and, but there's a, a kind of person that you don't want to be around because they're going to take more patience than you think you have. They're going to take more uh, 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 love than you think you have. They're going to take more care than you think you have. They're going to take more time than you think you have. And by divorcing yourself from serving people like that, you know, you're hurting yourself. You're not allowing God to grow you in the ways that he wants to grow you in order that you might be all that God wants you to be. You're hurting yourself. This man, he hurt himself with rocks. We hurt ourselves with other things, many other things. Have you stopped talking to your children and therefore can't get access to your grandchildren? Beloved, you are, you're hurting yourself. You're being self. It's one thing to be destructive. It's another thing to be self-destructive. The enemy is the person in the mirror. This person was, let's see, what was he? The first one was what? He was isolated. Secondly, he was, in, thirdly, he was, the fourth is that he was crying out in agony. Same verse. See, you see it right there. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out, cry out, I bet. Just cry out, scream to no one in particular because he's in such pain. Crying out in such agony that he can't hold it in anymore. I know some of us are right there. I know some of us right now. Crying out in agony takes different pictures, uh, takes different, uh, it, it looks differently on different people. So this person, um, they attempt a suicide. They're crying out in agony. But those of you, listen to me, come here. I want you to know, Your ways of crying out are also self-destructive. Unless you're crying out to Jesus, you're only hurting yourself. And so you might find yourself, I go, I'll show them, and then you hurt yourself or, commit, or try to commit suicide. Or I'm telling you. If you're here, listen to me. 
If you're here and this was the last house on the block, I don't know who I'm talking to, but let me just tell you this. If you're here and this is the last house on the block and you've been contemplating suicide and you've been even going as far as fantasizing about what that might look like for you, I want you to know this is not the way for you. That Jesus has better for you. Amen. That Jesus is better for you. Amen. That you are not doing yourself any good. And you're going, I know, but I can't take it anymore. That's because you've been doing it on your own. Jesus has a better idea. Take your burdens, take your heartaches, and put it on Jesus. You go, I don't know how to do that. Then stick around. None of us knew how to do it. We're all teaching each other how to do it. Don't, don't you dare. Don't you dare harm yourself that way. Don't you dare choose a version of crying out that ultimately destroys you. Don't do it. He was isolated. He was enslaved. He was self-destructive. He was crying out in agony. And then last that we're going to look at is he was naked. In Luke 8.27, you actually don't see it in the Markin passage. But in Luke 8.27, it says that he was naked. He tore off all his clothes. We see, an, uh, we see a sort of... An, uh, uh, Mark alludes to it in... Um, down towards the end where it says that he was dressed and sitting in his right mind. That he was dressed. Now he was dressed. Now he was no longer naked. Now he was no longer. He found himself that in the end he was isolated, enslaved, self-destructive, crying out in agony and exposed Exposed to all the elements and exposed to the pain and suffering. He was looking on the outside like he felt on the inside, raw and exposed. Jesus then meets this man and he says this, if you look at verse 9, he says, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Now, many of us who here grew up Say, for instance, from a Catholic background. Let me see if you grew up from a Catholic background, right? There's a few of us, yeah, for sure. Okay, who am I Pentecostales? All right, all right. There's a few of us, right? Amen, yeah, that's pretty funny. Uh, that's great. Um, okay, so many of us come from different, um, and who here didn't grow up with any, like, you know, religious um, instruction or anything like that? Who just kind of just grew up sort of, uh, okay, great. There's a few of us. All right. So then all of us come into the scriptures with different perspectives. We come to the scriptures thinking about this stuff differently. And so you're reading the story and you're tripped up over this whole, oh, wait, there's a demon that possessed this guy. Are you kidding me? There's like, right. So there's some of you. He goes, Edwin, you seem like a reasonable guy. You actually believe that demons. You know what? The reason that the people in uh, Jesus' day um, believed that uh, there were demons is because they didn't have the kind of science that we have today, and they didn't have the explanations that we have now. So they thought that when someone was sick or someone was mentally ill, this guy is not, this guy is not demon-possessed. He's mentally ill. Pause. That is not true, and that's a little bit naive. Because the scriptures speak about when they were bringing the people to Jesus, they mentioned the mentally disturbed, those who were caught in 
lunacy. Do you know where they get that from? Sailors would find um, that people would go crazy during the full moon while they drive. So it was lunar sea. See, it would drive them crazy. Get it? Okay, so they would, they would bring people who were experiencing um, lunacy. They would also bring people who were sick, and they were also bringing the demon, possess, uh, the demon possessed. So these guys were very thoroughgoing, very, um, they, were, they, they had a, a, a larger breath than what you and I think. Oh, just sick. Oh, they just need medication. Pause. Maybe, maybe no. Maybe there's some demonic forces in here. So for those of you who come at this with this is crazy, there's no way, demon possession, no way, I just want you to open your mind that perhaps the Bible has a more open-minded view of people's not wellness than perhaps we do as modern people. Those of you who come from uh, Catholic or Pentecostal backgrounds, maybe you come in this and it's like, I mean, if the train is late, you rebuke Satan. Right? Um, if you're having an argument with your spouse, you're rebuking, you know, get Senor te reprende. It's like, it gets serious. You start rebuking and casting out demons during dinner. It's crazy. And, and they're under every pillow, they're under every fight, they're under every relapse, they're under every, and, and maybe, maybe no. Maybe you need to take a step back and go, okay, wait, wait, wait. Maybe I'm, I'm setting myself up for a relapse, or maybe, maybe the spouse is responding to my own sin that I need to be open to confessing. Maybe. So, so we come from different backgrounds. We see this concept of demon possession in different ways. I'm just telling you, Jesus is smarter than you. And he saw that this wasn't just a mental issue. This wasn't just a sick issue. This was a demon possession issue. And so he casts out the demon. The demon responds the way you would imagine. He's like, yo, I do not want to be tormented um, forever. And Jesus goes on and says, what's your name? And he says, Legion. Legion, interestingly enough, there are different numbers that they give. It's like 4,000 to 5,600. Legion is like many, right? So it was like a Roman uh, uh, army, right? And so the Legion, the Legion was like a Roman army. And so when he says, we are Legion, we don't know if he's being like literal. Is it 4,000? Is it 5,600? We don't know if he's being literal. What he's trying to say is that this guy has has really con uh, uh, absorbed quite a bit of demonic activity. It's interesting because there's another place where Jesus gives a parable, and he starts talking, and this is why, listen to me, this is why your relapses are worse than your actual using in the, beginning, in the first places. Let me tell you why. Let me explain life to you. Because what happens is, is when you come, even if you come to a church like this and you just kind of clean yourself up, like Jesus is not the center of your life. Jesus is not the authority. Jesus tells this story about a guy who had cleaned up his own house, meaning his inner life. He had stopped his bad habits. He had quit doing the things that he, he was doing that was destructing him, destroying him. And so he, he stopped doing all that. He cleaned himself up. In fact, this guy would be celebrating his fifth year anniversary. This guy is doing well. This guy is clean. He's not using anymore. He's not acting out. This guy is doing well. And then Jesus says that demon leaves that guy and goes off into dry, arid places and then comes back with his boys. 
like comes back with seven, think about this, seven demons. This is what it says, seven demons that were worse than him. I don't know how bad demon number one is, but my guess is I don't want to know how bad the other seven are. That's my guess. I don't know if you've ever met any like real good demons or like kind of weak demons, but that I got to imagine is pretty astounding. And again, with our modern mind, we, we, we just goof on that. We laugh at that. We go, you know what? That's so silly. Listen to me. Listen to me. I'm telling you, demonic activity exists. It does in this world. We see it every day and you try to explain it away and it, there's real evil in this world. If you don't believe that there's such a thing as demonic activity, I want you to explain one thing to me. Child pornography. Try to explain that without a devil. Try to explain that without a devil. You, you get to these social things. Oh, yeah, these social um, causes that uh, 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 lead to this, and therefore they, they produce that. Try, yeah, really? I don't know. I don't know if your sociology books contain the solution to the evil in this world. There was a few guys who thought it was, they thought that God would love it if they rammed a plane into a building killing thousands of people. Try to explain that without a devil. There are people who beat their children to the degree that those children die. Like, have you ever seen a little kid? It's like, they, there's nothing cuter than little kids. Beat them till they die. Like, with their fists. And you go, oh man, that's crazy. Those are those people. There are other people who take little eight and nine-year-old girls, kidnap them, and then put them in a brothel so that those kids could be abused and horribly, horribly mutilated within the context of that place. Go ahead and try to explain it, just in a sociological kind of way. Oh, well, you know what, the people are poor, and so, of course, that makes sense because everybody who's poor sells their kid into sexual slavery. Everybody knows that. That's the natural. No, 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 beloved, I'm telling you, there's something deeper than just the problems that you see and you're being naive if you're not allowing for an unseen force that can adversely affect both people and even societies. Jesus saw this. He wasn't as naive as we are and he saw that it wasn't just mental illness, it wasn't just sickness. He actually goes to the heart of it. He rebukes the demon. The demon, uh, the demon goes to Jesus and says, send us to the pigs. And then Jesus sends them into the pigs and the pigs die. Now, I, uh, almost every commentary uh, spoke about this, so I'll speak about this. Um, the commentaries say, you know, uh, this, is, this is a tremendous loss. This was a terrible loss. What about the people who were tending the pigs? What about the people who were, um, you know, uh, th this was their livelihood? And in fact, the people of the town respond just that way. They go, 
Get out of here. Imagine this. Here's a guy who's been in tombs. He's been crazy for years. He's, he's gone all sorts of madness. He's been hurting himself. He's been screaming at the top of his voice so that his voice carries into town. And the, the, the wailing and the hurt, Jesus liberates them. And they go, but what about the pigs? It, it's possible. It's possible for us to be so consumed with our financial resources that we forget that there's a person that needs to be saved. It's possible for us not to want to invest our financial resources into someone because it would cost more because their life isn't worth the 20 bucks that it would take for you to go with them on an Uber to go to the detox that they desperately need. It's possible. Because when people see a salvation, some people only see the cost. Beloved, he was worth at least 2,000 pigs. May I suggest maybe you too? He was isolated, enslaved, self-destructive, crying out in agony and naked. Jesus goes to him and he liberates him. Then those, um, then we go down to, um, we go down to verse 15. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. I love this. Sitting there, dressed in his right mind. I love that. Sitting there, calm, no longer hurting himself. Dressed, no longer exposed and raw. In his right mind, no longer uh, demon-possessed. Now, the question that we have to ask yourself, and if you've been like, where is he going with this? Where is he going with this? This is where I'm going with this, so you've got to stay for this portion, okay? So if you took a nap during the sermon, it's a good time to wake up, okay? All right, stick with me. Stick with me. This is important. How could Jesus, how could Jesus liberate this man? How could he? This guy was self-destructive. He was destructive to others to the degree where they had to isolate him in the tombs. This guy was uh, living raw and naked. He was, he, he was all the things that we said. How could Jesus give this guy this incredible gift? See, the fact is, is that this guy's a picture of all of us. He's not just a picture of the extreme. He's the picture of the Harvard medical student. He's a picture of the, of the Pentecostal sitting in church. He's a picture of the Catholic standing up to receive the blessing from the priest. He's a picture of the atheist who will never darken the door. He is a picture of all of us without the gospel. He's isolated from God. Wants nothing to do with God. He's enslaved to those things that he thought would give him freedom. And in so doing, he's destroying himself. He cries out, as many people do, in their pillow or even in, in the fifth floor of Woodhall. And he's naked and exposed. Beloved, might I suggest that this is you and I before the gospel. That we are isolated before God, away from him, wanting nothing to do with him. We're naked. We're self-destructive. Could you imagine your heavenly father who knows what's best for you and you're making decisions that are contra him and he's what's best for you? Crying out in agony. How can Jesus 
save this guy. The only way that Jesus can save this guy is if he, listen to me, this is important. The only way Jesus can save this guy is if he took his place. Later on, in Jesus' life, he will be isolated from all his friends that said they would never leave him. Isolated and alone from everybody who said, I'd rather die than go without you. He said, you're going before. He tells Peter. Peter says, I'd rather die first. And Peter says, before the rooster crows. Before. In other words, just give it a few hours. I know you mean what you say. Just give it a few hours and I'm going to be isolated from everybody that I've ever loved and poured myself into. I'm going to be isolated from those that I'm trying to save. Jesus took this man's place. He was isolated. He was enslaved. He was put in the stocks. And even though he had the power to break those chains, good night, he invented the metal that they came from. He had the power to break the chains. And yet he allowed them to enslave him and take him where he should not have gone. Self-destruct. He allowed these people to harm him. They pummeled him. You know how bad you have to get pummeled in the face for the Bible to say that his mother couldn't even recognize him? He allowed his body to destroy. He was taking the place of this man and he was taking your place. Crying out in agony. Do you remember from the cross? Jesus pulls up. I can't even imagine the anguish Eloi, Eloi, why has, why has thou forsaken me? He was alone by himself, crying out in agony and stripped naked, put on the cross. I'm telling you, the movies that you see, they give him a little bit of modesty. Not so. He was stripped naked. Jesus was isolated, enslaved, destroyed, crying out in agony and naked so that you and I could have communion with the Father. So that we can go from slavery to freedom in Christ. So that we can go from self-destructive to Christ-honoring. So that we can go from crying out in agony to crying out in joy to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So we can go from naked to being clothed in righteousness. Jesus experienced that for you and I so that, so that we could experience being freed. Don't ignore that. Those of you who are not in Christ, those of you who would just go, oh yeah, that's slick, that's cool, I'm too smart for that. Yeah, 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 listen to me. For those of you who are doing, don't deny the one who would deny himself so that he would run after you. And so then, what's our response if we've experienced that, number one, if your response should be, Hallelujah, Jesus. I want to give my heart and life and soul and future. I want to give it all to you. My, my intellect, my, my marriage, my school, my children, my diet, my, my well-being, my life, my body, my future. It's all yours because you gave all Amen. for me. Amen. It's, not, it's not a fair trade, guys. 
It's not a fair trade. Jesus loses on this one. And yet he does it delightfully and gladly because of his intense love for you. Now, what's our response then? Listen. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man had, who had been demon-possessed, isn't it interesting that the people, just in the verse before, they tell Jesus to leave, but the one who's demon-possessed say, can I go with you? I, I have a friend, and I have pastor friends who are in, like, uh, in communities that are more affluent, you know, where people are not sure that they know that they have a problem, their kids all go to college, their, you know, their finances are just fine, their marriages are okay, and they don't see themselves as isolated, enslaved, destructive, and crying out in agony and naked. They just can't, they don't have eyes for that. And my friends, they go, they go Edwin, I don't know how you do it. And I, and I, re I honestly respond, I go, I don't know how y'all do it. <laughs> because, because I hope you see how much you need Jesus. Amen. I hope, and listen to me, this is not just a message for the out there and the addicted and the, this is, I hope you hear that this is the message for all of us, the ones who are climbing the corporate ladder. I'm telling you, when you got, God sees you, he sees you in these five ways. What's the response? The man says, can I go with you? I just want to be with you. I just want to be everywhere you are. I want, that should be our response. I just want to be everywhere you are. I want to experience you in the morning and in the afternoon and in, and in the evening. I want to experience you in my sleep. I want to experience you when I'm being tempted with having just one more. And I want to experience you when everything is going fine. I want to experience you when I'm broke. And I want to experience you when I have wealth. I want to experience you in every moment, in every area. And I want to experience you in sickness and in health. I want to experience you in every moment of my life. I want you to be a part of it. That's our response. And, but there's one more response that we should have. Jesus says this, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Beloved, would you just go and tell somebody? I mean, listen, wherever you are, go and tell somebody. And the people at work, tell them. In a meeting, when after, don't break any traditions, but, you know, after the meeting, after, no, always, you know, don't be a silly person. Respect, always respect where you are. But you have opportunities to be able to share with others after the meeting. You go, and what do you do? You do what Jesus says. You go and tell, you go, but I don't have the answers. You know what? I don't know how to answer this question about the apocalypse and all this other stuff. Beloved, listen to what Jesus tells this guy. Go and tell him. This is what you need to go and tell him. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Amen. Surely you can do this. Surely you can go and tell what the Lord has done for you. Now listen to me. Don't clap unless you're going to go and tell somebody about what the Lord has done for you, man. You tell them. And listen to me. And if you look bad, then look bad. And if you look, and if you feel silly, and if whatever it is, man, just go and tell them. He did all of this. He was isolated, enslaved, destroyed, crying out naked. And you're going to worry about your reputation? Newsflash. Your reputation is not that hot anyway. Go and tell them what the Lord has done for you. And, and here's what I'll leave you with. This, this is powerful. So the man went away and began to tell them 
in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. You know why? Because, and this is important to see, um, that the man did not see any difference between God and Jesus. When, he, when Jesus said, tell him how much the Lord has done, he told him how much Jesus has done because he knew that Jesus was the Lord. Yes. Jesus is God. And for those of you, that's a shock, I know. Some of you come from different backgrounds where you go, no, 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 Jesus is not a God. He's maybe a God with a tiny G. Or Jesus is one among many gods. Or whatever it is. But I'm telling you, Jesus is the Lord. He is God in the flesh. And so go and tell them. Tell them how much mercy Jesus had. Tell them. Tell them. And what are you going to tell them? Tell them that I was isolated from God, but Jesus became isolated for my sake. Tell them that I was enslaved to my sin, but Jesus enslaved himself so that I might be free. Tell them that I destroyed myself, but Jesus allowed himself to be destroyed because of his deep affection for me. Tell them that while you were crying out in agony to run away from God, Jesus was crying out in agony to the Father so that he, when the Father turned his back on him, that was the greatest pain. And tell them, that Jesus was made naked so I could be, you and I could be clothed in righteousness. No longer having to build our reputation and our righteousness apart from God, but receiving it from Jesus. Jesus, tell them that. Tell them about the one who came for you.